We continue our uh, series this morning on iTruths for an iPod generation. I want to remind you, uh, if you'll look right over here to the wall uh, on my right, uh, last week we talked about the idea of I surrender. Then several of you came up to me after church and said, oh my goodness, if we're going to start with surrendering first, what's going to be next? I believe as we go through these, the most important thing that we do daily is surrendering our will to that of the will of God. And so that's why we started with the idea of I surrender. Today we look at I serve. You can look over on the opposite wall and see that banner and I appreciate the work that went in this week uh, to, to making those. Here's the truth that I want us to see as we go through the next few weeks. In order to obtain the satisfaction that God wants to give you and I, we have to learn to transform ourselves into little eyes. We need to focus not so much upon ourselves and what we want. Now just stop and think about that phrase for a moment. Because every day we are saturated with that, aren't we? We are saturated with things that we want, things that we like, things that we desire. But the focus here is not so much upon ourselves and what we want as upon God and what he desires for our lives. God is great, we saw last week, and therefore he will be sought. He is good, and therefore he will be found. And so all these voices that ring out to us today that's trying to get us to focus on ourselves, only Jesus, Jesus is the only one that looks at us and says, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. As we saw in James chapter 4, verse 5, God longs for the closeness that comes when his spirit is living right in us. In fact, when our attention is given anywhere else, Scripture says that the spirit is jealous over that. I love that. When God and his spirit are jealous because we're giving attention to other places, that ought to help us see loud and clear how much God really loves us. Maybe that's the most fundamental truth that we need to be reminded of daily, is that Jesus loves me. This I know. It's a great theologian that was once asked by some fellow colleagues, what are, you know, of all the things in Scripture that means so much, of all the things that just stand out and grab our attention, these guys ask this theologian, what is it that really sticks out to you? And he says, the basic song that we've sung for years, Jesus loves me, this I know. Maybe our kids are on to something when they sing that. Maybe as adults, we need to get on to that truth as well. And this quote by A.W. Tozer, God's presence is more than just a doctrine to be held, but it is a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. 
And so this morning as we continue this series, we look at the truth I serve. Syndicated columnist Deborah Mathis wrote about the time when she was at Union Station on a particular busy day. And the first thing she remembers about that experience was the noisy hubbub of all the sounds going on. The public address announcer was calling out arrivals and departures. And then you could hear all these pagers and walkie-talkies and cell phones just crying out for someone's attention. I mean, everybody had some kind of device in their hands, just like we do today. There's a security guard that's yelling at a man who's about to enter a forbidden area. And all of a sudden, these three women in the, in the group stood up from their bench where they were sitting because they were arguing about something, and it just got louder and louder. And so they stand up in order to argue with each other more loudly. And then all of a sudden, there's a man in front of her who was nervously pacing in a tight circle. And all of a sudden, she heard someone singing, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And then a change came over the noisy crowd and the voice continued. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer. And then all of a sudden, the quarreling women stopped their talking and just quietly took their seats. And people who had been tense and hurried, they seemed to slow down and relax. They strained to hear the voice singing the remaining verses of that old hymn. And Miss Mathis realized that she was singing along. And so were the three women who were bickering back and forth with each other. And then all of a sudden, the man in front of her, who had been behaving nervously, quietly said, that was pretty nice, wasn't it? And he goes on to say, I don't even believe in Jesus, but that was pretty remarkable. You know, music has a way of changing our lives. And when we share it with others, it can affect the lives of people around us. Now, today when we live in the world of iPods, iPods really aren't designed and allowed to share your music. Now, you can get an iTunes account and you can share it that way, but as for the most part, iPods are just this personal little machine, this personal little device that's yours or yours, Lewis, or mine, or I don't have one or whatever. My kids have it, so I listen to theirs. They're designed for personal enjoyment, not really for that of others. And as a result, people who use iPods have a tendency to just kind of shut other people out. Parents, do you ever get frustrated when you look around and you try to ask your kids a question and they've got their nice little fancy earbuds in and they can't hear a blooming thing that you're trying to say? It gets a little frustrating and your voice just gets louder and louder and louder until finally they look at you and say, huh? Are you talking to me? No, I'm just kind of talking out wide open air. But that's kind of the world that we live in right now. When they're listening to their music through those tiny little earbuds, they often just go into their own little world, and it's just them and whatever. 
I want you to look in Matthew chapter 20 this morning. Our text tells us about 12 men who aren't into sharing. They've been with Jesus for about three years now, and the end is at hand, and they're gathered in an upper room to eat the Passover meal with their teacher, but they don't realize yet that this is the Last Supper. And so for three years, they've lived together, they've eaten together, they've learned together at the feet of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, a conversation comes up that tells us that these guys haven't understood one of the main things that Jesus was trying to get all of his followers to understand. In fact, according to Matthew and Mark, they've had this conversation before. And the conversation always started with the disciples arguing over which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And if you look at the very beginning of this section of Scripture, uh, in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 20, Jesus, uh, mother goes down and asks this question, what is it that you want, Jesus says, as the mother comes and she's kneeling down. And I mean, she's asking a favor for Jesus. What is it you want? He said, and she said, I just want you to grant that one of my two sons may sit at your right and the other at your left. I mean, that's all I want. I just want my boys to be in your presence, and I want one on either side. Wow. That's not a bad approach, is it? That's not a bad question, is it? From a mother's standpoint. But when you look down at it, look at what Jesus says. Beginning in verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your, what's the word? Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many people. Jesus' answer to this question was always the same. Paraphrasing, he's basically saying, you don't understand. My kingdom is going to be different than the kingdoms of this world. My kingdom, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. Now I want you to look over in John chapter 18 for a minute. And I want you to look at this scene in John 18, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, and I mean all these questions and all these accusations are coming to Jesus. In verse 35, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people and your chief priests who have handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And Jesus said in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
Isn't that a cool passage? I mean, if my kingdom was to set up shop right here, I could look around, Jesus says, and I could get all of my servants, and they would come, and they would protest, they would fight for me, and I could get it. He says, you know what? My kingdom is not right here. My kingdom is another place. Good news for us this morning, church. Your kingdom, which is Jesus' kingdom that you live in, is not temporary. It will last forever. And so your home is not right here. So when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this place, guess who he's thinking of? He is thinking about you. He's thinking about me. My kingdom not here. My kingdom is of another place. I don't know about you, but that's the kingdom that I want to be a servant of. Amen? That's where life is all about. And so, here's what Jesus says. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant. You've got to learn how to share your life with other people. As our kids grow up, one of the basic things that we teach them as parents and grandparents, you may have a toy in your hand, but that toy doesn't necessarily belong to you, and so you've got to learn to share. And I mean, from the get-go, as little kids, boy, we don't like to let go of our toy, do we? And, and when the other person gets it, what do we do? Man, we have a screaming wall-eyed fit, don't we? Sometimes, till we get it back, and then life is happy. What do you realize? The older we get, we still have our toys, don't we? We still don't like to share very much, do we? The basic need, Jesus says, in my kingdom, my people have got to learn to share. And the way that you do that is you embrace the idea that when you're a servant, sharing's part of it. When you're a servant, it just kind of goes along with the territory, doesn't it? What if I don't like that? Get over it. What if that's not my way? It's not about your way. It's about transforming into a little I so God can be number one. I don't care if you're 99 or nine months. We still have to grasp that. And we still wrestle with it every day. So now I want you to look over in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I want you to look down in verse 19. And he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. Well, eventually, the meal's finished, and they've taken the bread and the cup, and then Jesus leaves the room, and when he comes back into the room, remember over in John, what is it that Jesus is carrying? He comes in with a towel wrapped around his waist, carrying a basin of water, and he proceeds to wash their feet. We know the story. We know the history there. Back in those days, a lot of dirt were on the roads, and as people would walk from place to place, when they entered into a home, it was very customary to take your sandals off, and there would be a a servant there at the doorway to wash your feet so you could enter in to the house. And so, I mean, that was the customary thing. And so, if the master of the house shows up, showing up to the Last Supper, who's the master here? Jesus. And so they're looking at everything that they've learned and everything that they've been taught, and and in their mind, they're thinking, wait a minute, this is not work that our master is to do. This is work that a servant or a slave is to do. And so in John 13, we're told that Peter got so upset when he saw Jesus washing their feet, and he looks at Jesus and says, no, Verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. I mean, here's Jesus, their master, their teacher. He shouldn't have disgraced himself this way. But of course, that's exactly the point that Jesus is making. And after he washed their feet, remember what he says in verse 14? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. All of that, that I just paraphrased, all of that took place at the Last Supper. And so as I'm studying this passage, it suddenly occurred to me that there must be something about communion. There must be something about the Lord's Supper that should help us learn to share. But I'm going to be honest with you. At first, I couldn't think of a possible reason why that might be. I mean, even if we were one cuppers, drinking out of one cup, which we're not, I think sharing would be on top. I don't think sharing is going to be on top of their list. It's not going through their mind. They take it literal that the one cup means the one cup. See, a lot of times we tend to think, of the Lord's Supper as just being a personal thing, kind of like people having their iPods. It's just theirs. It's just between them. It's a personal experience. And we tend to think of communion that way, something just between me and God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we're told on the very first day of the week, they came together. The church came together to break bread. So you see, Jesus designed the Lord's Supper, he designed that to be a time when we come together and eat this meal along with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's meant to be more than just a religious ceremony. 
It's meant to be more than, oh, it's 1030 at Lamar Avenue, and so here we go. we got to stamp ourselves to take communion, and then it's 1040, and now it's over. You see, when we come together, it's meant to be a reminder that Jesus made himself out of nothing. And he took on the very nature of a servant, and he died to save us. So maybe one thing we need to think about as we take communion together, look at what Jesus did for me. Look at what Jesus did for us as the church, as a body. He gave himself. He was thinking of more than just himself. He was thinking about the very nature of a servant. The very idea of denying ourselves, taking up the cross, and being a follower of the one who died for me. And so whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And so maybe next time that we participate together in the Lord's Supper, we begin to realize this is not just between me and God. This is about family. This is about a meal. It's about a time to celebrate. It's a time to give God the glory and the honor and the praise for who he is. And who he has called us to be as we take up the cross and try to walk in his footsteps. And so in the Lord's Supper, we're reminded he gave us an example of how we should become servants of one another. Here's the bottom line. Servanthood lies at the heart of who we are as Christians. And communion just happens to reinforce that for us weekly. And I'm glad that we have that weekly reminder to remind us this is not about me. This is about God and His will and it's about serving one another within the body of Christ. So the Lord's Supper is more than just a personal thing. It's a time when we gather with Christian brothers and sisters and eat together with Jesus. It's a time when we're reminded that Jesus gave us a powerful example of servanthood. And when we learn that, and when we strive to embrace it, it will make all the difference in our faith. And I want to say this to the body. Because we're servants and because all of us are different and we're wired different, and I know we have an iPod generation all the way to an 8-track generation, okay? And because of that, sometimes we like different things and we prefer different things but from time to time in the lord's supper you've already noticed sometimes we do it a little different 
Sometimes we have it before I preach. Sometimes we have it afterwards. Either one is okay. Amen? Sometimes we're going to sing during communion. And sometimes we're not. And I know some of you are ready to shout amen on either side of the fence. Okay? And that's okay. Because deeper than all of that, through that, let's not forget, this is a meal that's about Jesus. This is a meal that's about what he did for me and how I need to fall back in love with the master and I need to love and serve my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that's a part of the family. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, I'm sorry. I hope it does. Servanthood lies at the heart of who we are. And so you see, Jesus designed the supper to be a time where we would think about each other. It's a time when we would examine our attitudes toward each other. And when we finally look through all the stuff and get it right, it's a time when we learn to love each other so much that we really just want to be servants of God and of each other. Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love each other as well. First and second command. Have you noticed how a lot of things always point back to the first and second commandment? Always. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're struggling with just surrendering. But you see, when, when you surrender all and you take on the very nature of a servant, it's a good place to be because you're in God's will. And again, kingdoms that we look at today and kingdoms that we give allegiance to today, they're going to come and go. But Jesus says, my kingdom and the kingdom I've invited you into is going to last forever. Amen to that. So as we stand to sing a song of invitation this morning, we want this to be a time for you to reflect, a time for you to think about your own walk with God. And maybe, maybe there's something publicly that you want to talk to some leaders about this morning and have prayer time or to be baptized and to have that gift of his Holy Spirit to come dwell right inside of us. Whatever is on your heart and mind this morning, we want to be here for you as we stand and as we sing.